Yeah, Chris, um, I am uh, in Virginia right now. I'm in my old environs, um, and I will probably just be watching the game on my own tomorrow because I, I can't. I, I don't. I'm, I'm afraid of it. I don't want to be around other people for this one. Um, I hope to regret that, uh, as I've regretted, you know, famous Arsenal wins in the past uh, that I didn't go to. But if you're in the area, definitely see Tom tomorrow. McDinton's in Tampa. Fantastic place to watch a game. Tom will be there. Um, so, yeah, communicate with Tom. Uh, it's Sir Sable on Twitter. And, and of course, Gulf Coast Gooners on Twitter as well. Uh, highly, highly recommend it. And, and on that point, on that point, because this brings me to the next thing, obviously, anyone in the area, um, unlike, unlike Mike, I will be going to the bar because I say, if you don't support now, when will you support? You got to support when the team needs you the most. And I will be at XL Soccer World in Orlando. Um, hopefully, as many of us can gather there and raise our voices and shake the earth. Because contrary... Just, just, just throw shade at me for not going to the pub tomorrow? Oh, yeah, 100%. Because contrary to what um, Daniel Levy at Spurs will tell you, it's actually not about the friends you make along the way. It's about the silverware that you put on the table. And that kind of brings us into what the hell has been happening for this last week. I have never, I, this is my first, obviously as an Arsenal fan, my first title charge. I, I don't know how people do it every year. Honestly, I guess this is why it's a big benefit to city that they don't have any fans to go through these highs and these lows. So it I is, think, I think one of the reasons that it's so difficult is the similarity that we have right now to, to, to 88, 89, because I mean, 88, 89, we had not won a title for 17 years. Uh, eight, well, 18 years. Cause we won it in 71 and we won it in 89. So, I mean, it was the 18th season since we had won a title. There were some really dark era times between those, not just, you know, finishing fourth or finishing eighth, a couple seasons in a row there. I mean, like double digit. 16th. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That sort of stuff. But you know, an NFA cup thrown in, uh, in the middle as well, but like, you know, just, we were upstart. We were we were rising. We were kind of playing a little bit better than anyone saw us playing that year, except maybe for the people inside the dressing room. Um, and it just felt like, when is this? Uh, when is the other ball going to drop? When are we going to start playing like we always have? And 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 when is the dominant team that's kind of sleeping a little bit this season in fourth and third and fifth at times? which was Liverpool at, at, the, at that time, when are they going to finally just kick it into gear? And when that finally happened, it was the middle of May. And we all know what ended up happening there at the end. Uh, my hope is that it goes to the last day of the season again right now, because I think that would favor us rather than be something that's disappointing to us. But um, it, it feels like Wimbledon and, and, and uh, before that Derby from 1989 all over again with these last three games, Specifically, the last two games, which I think we we there was no way we should have lost the uh, or dropped points. Um, you could say we're we haven't lost a game since the last time we played City, which was you know in, in the Premier League, which is true. But it doesn't feel that way because we have blown opportunities that we had to just. I mean, we could have been ten points up on Man City going into this game with them still having two games in hand. But I mean. Yeah, those yeah. two games in hand, uh, uh, opportunity lost, and I think that that energy was transmitted through the 
fan base all throughout all throughout the place. I remember saying the day before we need to beat Southampton. I remember being one of the very few people saying that, you know, with chess, we must, we must, because everybody kind of had that nervous energy. I, even before in the Globe, I, I, I had a very fun talk with Elliot, but Elliot seemed nervous as hell. Um, and it, it, nothing really kind of like speaks to that then then during the game there was a point when Elliot was literally just in my ear like consoling me like consoling is like making reason out of this like oh this will win um maybe we'll have to do this oh this is over oh I hate every player on the thing and then all of a sudden we score uh we score a goal to go like what was it two three and Elliot is literally holding on to me like my arm almost was ripped off of my my side because Elliot is a he's a hugger and he's like like, oh my God, oh my God. And that that was the madness. And 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 you know what? Matter of fact, I actually have a, a clip from this. When we were obviously a lot of energy was sucked out of the room when we go, you know, one nil down early. I remember Soph walking in and going, like, what the hell is going on? But to our fan base's credit, we honestly never dropped the energy. Here, here's a clip of when we uh, made it to one. <laughs> I was just waiting for that clip to just ha- like focus on the TV for like ten seconds and show all the like the copyrighted broadcast. <laughs> no, I, I mean the play. The, as you can see, the place is uh, you know it, it's very very you know it's long and yeah. thin, not very thick, not very thin. No, we weren't uh, very deep, but we were it's very. Not long. A gir- it's not a girthy bar, but it is. I mean, it is long, um, and and people were packed in there. It was very uh, very dense, um, but like. And there's a whole area behind you too that was just absolutely packed. But yeah, I mean, it, it the place when it, when it was two one, the place went nuts. Two two, just I mean, absolutely, the roof fell off the place. And um, or or no, sorry, three one. Yeah, and um, three two. Yeah. All right, I got it all wrong. When it went three three, my God, I mean, it was it, it was insane because at that point we all thought we were going to score another one, and we very very nearly did, but. There's um, a reason why you don't see a single video of us past the 3-3 because everybody was just on point, just staring at the thing. Elbow to el- elbow. People were, were, people were on the ground, like 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 knees on the ground, praying and like like I mean it was <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. So Soap was praying in the corner. She was, she was, she was literally like like on her knees with her with her hands on the on the bar stool, like mm-hmm. praying. And and you know, and I mean, it should never have come to that. And honestly, when I look back at it, I think some things ring true that were said during the podcast uh, the following day, which is if that if if that just absolute anomaly of a screw up in the first 30 seconds doesn't happen. We're we're more than likely in control of that game from 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 square one. Uh, We more than likely aren't giving up the counterattack that, you know, with. Odegaard passing the ball directly to their player and Gabriel getting completely turned uh, by, by, by Walcott. I mean, Walcott. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that, that was more sickening to me than the first, the first one's like, I mean, what are you going to do about that? We've scored goals when the other team like kicked it right into our guy and it went back into their own goal. I mean, like 
shouldn't happen. And it's an absolute howler from Ramsdale. Uh, no one else can be, you know, can be blamed for that. But if that doesn't happen, and that doesn't happen 99 times out of 100, a team like Bournemouth doesn't score an offside goal off of the opening kick that isn't that isn't called back, you know, where everyone's just standing around unprepared. That doesn't happen 99 times out of 100 or 999 times out of 1,000. But it happened, and all of a sudden we're playing from behind, and and we aren't careful enough to, to just take a breath and say, over the next 89 minutes of this game, we should still win it by more than one goal. And, um, and you know and what's so frustrating changed, it about it? It changed the whole thing. What's so frustrating about what you're saying, too, is honestly, honestly, the reason why um, Elliot was basically mentally preparing himself from the podcast. By the way, huge shout out to Elliot and Paul from the Arsenal Vision. I see their commitment to the game. That podcast that they released that day, they did guerrilla style on the back of a car while we were outside uh, before we went back to the hotel. Just real commitment to the bit. But I, I think it's because until like, Remember, we scored those two goals in like three minutes. Um, until that point, Arsenal just never really looked like scoring. It, there was something going on through the team. I don't know how to explain it. I'm not sure what I was seeing, but there just seemed to be like we weren't enjoying our football. The way that like, you know, back at when we went down to Fulham, for example, and now albeit we we ended up equalizing with Fulham incredibly quickly. Just talking about the first game. And then, you know, going on to beat them. But even when we would go down in most games, it always looked like we were playing with fun. Like we were enjoying what we were doing. And there was a little bit of swagger or arrogance. It's almost like we knew we were going to score. This time, it really looked like players were looking around at each other for answers that just weren't coming. Yeah, I, I just think it was shell-shocked. I mean, I mean, how uh, the team's mentality has been so strong this season. And you've seen Zinchenko and Odegaard really, you know, you've seen, and, and we saw it again after it was 2-0 this time. I mean, them just, but there was there was an extended, what the fuck is going on, like like zombie yeah. walking around. And then Zinchenko basically, on you know, very, very publicly televised moment said, we got to get this shit together. And what did you think about that attempted huddle? I mean, it's. To, that's leadership to me. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I have people been mocking that. I've heard people have yeah. been mocking that. It's a, it's a, it's been a lot of people have been really critical of it, and and the interesting uh, part of it too. Because, uh, from what premise that it shouldn't have been necessary? That it should have happened no, no, earlier? That it, that it, because I going back and watching the game, you can see that not only are our players a little not interested, Odegaard actually comes over and kind of tells Zinchenko to knock it off. And I don't, I think that not interested in the huddle or not interested in the game, the huddle, the huddle, oh. like, so like, like, stop, like, stop it. And I think that that actually might've come from Arteta. I've heard people think that it came from Odegaard, but you can see Odegaard has a few words with Arteta and then he walks over to Zinchenko. So I don't know who said what or what was going on, mm. but I do know that like, for example, Gary Neville was incredibly critical of it, but you know, who cares what Gary Neville thinks? I honestly, I think the man's delusional, but, um, but most people saw that, and a lot of people weren't fans of it. And I think that for me, to me, I think like you. I go, well, we just went 2-0 down. We're playing like we've never played before this entire season. This is the first time I've seen us play scared the entire season. And it just seemed like it wasn't, you know, getting there. And I felt Zinchenko was trying to wake everybody up. But on the flip side of that, Zinchenko's also a madman. And he's incredibly emotional. 
And sometimes maybe that over that, that heightened level of emotion, that, that you're, you're a little too much energy to kind of settle the nerves and that gets on people's nerves. You know what I, I mean? Know. The guy, the guy's a winner. Uh, he's been there before. I, I, if he, if he thinks that the team needs a, uh, I mean, I know he's not the captain, so he shouldn't be, he shouldn't be showing up Odegaard if that's where I'm, I'm still struggling to understand where the, where the, where the critical, the criticism would come from, like from what standpoint, um, they they huddle together after they score a goal to kind of to no, make sure the, that criti- the criticism is that the team wasn't into the huddle. The rest of the players did not want to huddle. So what kind of criticism of Zinchenko necessarily? Other yeah. other than he kind of forced people into doing it. Well, that the, the team didn't want to huddle together after goals two seasons ago either. But we had no leadership, and so it didn't happen. And then everyone kept fucking around. I don't know. It's a weird thing to me. But yeah. whatever it was, I think after that goal. And, and it shouldn't take going down 2-0 in the first 20 minutes or so to the worst team in the league uh, to, to reach this point. But I think, you know, we really kind of <laughs> changed the mentality at that point. And for the remainder of the game, whether we look like scoring constantly or not, I think we we had the better, you know, we had the, the, the better of the play from that point on. It's just, it, it's, it, unless, it, unless I, you're playing against us, it's really hard to come back from 2-0. <laughs> And I think that's what's so unfortunate about it. I think that for the most part, honestly, Southampton, you know, hats off, you took your chances, but those were the only chances. And those chances were kind of our own doing. I I cannot believe that we went out there in the second half and we allowed that. I mean, we looked so switched off for that corner. It was unbelievable. And that's really what I think deflated us. And then out of nowhere, you know, finally, after holding on to the ball forever, it was only in the last 10 minutes that we looked like scoring, but once we turned it on, oh my Lord, I I, I just don't even have words to describe the way when Arsenal look like they want to score a goal, it looks like they will not be stopped. So let's walk through the mentality of that because I've been thinking about that the last few days. Like like when you see how we played, uh, the game went to 99 minutes. So when you see how we played the last 13 minutes of the 99, um, The easy thing to say is, well, why don't we just do that constantly? Or why don't we do that early in the game so that we can get ahead and then and then kind of shut down, you know, and and you know, get ahead by three maybe and that and and start playing differently. And you know, if you've ever played a sport before, you and and I, I know most people think I haven't, but I have, you 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 can't just import a surrounding and an environment in the context of a game that's at minute 86 to 99. And, and and import that into minute two to 17 and, and act like they're interchangeable because you've got Southampton who has a very different feel and emotion and structure and capability in minute five of a game that against someone who's better than they are trying to just be tight, be responsible, be defensive. And then you've got them protecting a 3-1 lead late in a game and saying, we know they're going to come at us. It would be even worse if we, you know, if we try to come at them and and they're shitting their pants and, and questioning everything they're doing and kicking it out rather than trying to accidentally turn it over. So it's a completely different mentality. But I mean, there is something inside me that says, why couldn't they have really done that earlier? Why? I mean, earlier than the 88th minute, maybe not right from the start, maybe not right out of the gate in the second half. But, you know. Where is that I, level of intensity? Is it just too exhausting to keep up for more than 10 minutes? Or is it does it require that you be in this scenario where we were against Bournemouth and we are and we were against Southampton where you have to just have that extra, my God, we need this now? 
So there are two things that I definitely notice about uh, the game that I think can add, that can add to that, and not, neither of those things are Rob Holding, even though we can talk about Rob Holding in a little later. Uh, the first one is why couldn't we do that? I think some of that comes down to Fabio Vieira. This isn't me knocking the player. I think he's a fantastic player. I think he's great, but I think that this game, when you talk about you need winners on the pitch, I think. This game, Vieira failed to, he didn't have the mentality. I think when those goals went in, he was the one that looked the most nervous on the pitch. He didn't really want the ball. He didn't know where to stand. I remember I have never seen Thomas Partey occupy that left half space before in any game in this entire year. And yet Thomas Partey kept getting pulled over to the left-hand side. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that Fabio Vieira wasn't there. I he, know that when was we he the wrong player it, to play in, in, in Jaka's. Yeah, it was weird because as soon as Trussard came on and, and I always point, uh, I was pointing this out to Elliot and we had a really great talk about it where um, if you look at a team that's going to defend um, in two banks of four, they create three boxes across the back line and Fabio Vieira wants to be on the line, either on the front line or the back line of those box. He doesn't want to be in the middle of that box. And Trussard, when he came on, what he was able to do and the reason we were able to get a little rhythm was because he was able to occupy the center of that box and keep things moving. That's what we call, you know, playing between the lines, obviously. And Fabio Vieira is supposed to be, for $35 million, he was supposed to be that type of player. And I just think that the nerves got to him he always wanted an extra touch he was a little too slow he was also um and i point this out he i don't mind a good cross to the back post but do it from inside the box remember martinelli's assist in that west ham um in the west ham game when he get when he delivers that ball in he's inside of their box fabio vieira was ready to launch that ball way way too soon and sometimes it broke up the play and broke up the rhythm the Second thing that I I really, and this isn't, again, he's Captain Fantastic, and I love him to death, but Odegaard, and, I've, and I noticed this from the beginning, because one of my favorite parts of a game is when Odegaard wakes up. Odegaard never starts a game very fast, but when he he's wakes done, he's up. He's done it a few times, but, it, but more it, often than not, it's, yeah, he, he but kind when of he wakes has, up, to, he has to bed into the game a little bit. Exactly. He, he's he's unplayable when he wakes up. And you saw that from about the 85th minute on. Odegaard was, by and large, our most influential player. Incredible. I, I just, I, I have no words. But you ask yourself, why does it always take you, what is it that makes you wake up? I'm not always sure what it is. Because I thought maybe it's when we had a little rhythm. I'm not sure what gets him going. But then suddenly he's driving into the box with the ball, passing the ball into the box, short, short passes here, there. Oh, you're not going to you're not going to score goals or you guys aren't going to create openings. Cool. I'll do it by myself. And that was our uh, second goal, by the way, was Odegaard basically said, I've had enough. I'm going to yeah. dribble into the box. One, two with Ben White lost his man and boom, beautiful uh, shot, uh, curling shot into the, uh, into the net. Well, and I just don't know where that is for the rest of the game when we're behind. And, and it's like you say, you can't say magically, okay, you did it then. Why didn't you do it earlier? I understand that, that aspect of it. I, I, and I a hundred percent agree, but my question is what makes him wake up, you know? 
that, that that's a good question. We'll put we'll put it out there. Um, if anyone knows what makes him wake up, um, you know, is it yeah, a what- shot that they give you when you're when you when you have like a drug overdose and it just kind of wakes you up, or is it like like what what is it exactly? Um, this actually is what I was just about to say. When, because oh yeah, that pissed me off. That was well, the most infuriating thing I had ever. I, I literally did turned- not put piss off because because of what you were just talking about, Odegaard. It, what needed to happen in that moment. And every moment surrounding it was just who find Odegaard. Yeah. And, and Odegaard and Odegaard and Ben White were open yeah. when he took that shot. Elliot and I talked could about start this for to like see the leg back and we were like, no. I I think Elliot said something. I think Paul said something. I think Soph said something. I know uh uh Bill said something. I everybody was just like, what the hell was that? It was the I mean there's got to be this rush that goes into a player's mind that says, if I score it from here, like, like you know, everyone's looking at what Reese Nelson did against Bournemouth. Now, granted, we are not talking about the same situation, the, the same spot on the pitch, the same defensive setup. We're not talking about any of that. But, like, this will be a goal that and, – and, and I don't – the same thing about, like, taking it one time when you have the – like, like, in a different situation, if you're right on the eight, the 16 and the ball comes back – or on the 18 – and the ball comes back to you and it's spinning and you have time to to take a touch and then shoot it, which I think even Odegaard had earlier in that same game and, and shot it over. It might have been Odegaard. Um, there's this blood rush that says one-timer, Galazzo, superhero. Yeah, and 35 yards out, though. And, 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 and it's you have to know when to turn that on and to turn it off. And the way we were pressuring them, the way they were just absolutely – their defend their their defense was just at sixes and sevens legitimately and to have the ball with the with the man at your at, at, at your feet with the ball at your feet uh i'm sorry with odegaard having to be able to have the ball at his feet and all of this spread in the box that's going on and and to just give that up with it, with not only a, a, a it gives the ball to the other team it gives about 45 seconds to the other team off of the clock and and that i mean look we, we could have won the game earlier if 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 trochard shot just was a little bit you know i mean it, it, we could nelson missed by Reece literally missed. a cleat i mean a you stud. know but but we were running out of opportunities at that point and for him to take that shot i mean i, I just i don't know what he was thinking I want to I want to comment on this because Tom says as a team we had plenty of bad moments but even though this isn't to blame Partey but he has had two of his worst games of the year in the past 2 weeks I actually want to talk about this for a little moment because like that shot there's something that I'm noticing about Thomas Partey he's always going to play his game it always seems like he's just going to do what he wants almost irrespective of game state or what's going on on the pitch, and it's just the slightest criticism yeah, well, that I have of him and, now. And, and it and it hasn't been that noticeably bad because what he wants to do has often been exactly what we've needed. Exactly, his game is world class. Let's let's not make any mistake about it. His game is world class. But there are just sometimes when you're like, "What are you actually thinking in this moment?" It doesn't seem to be to any plan or any rhythm that we're doing. It just seems like you're kind of vibes sometime almost like a a, you know completely different position but almost a little bit of the alexis sanchez remember sanchez sometimes you're just like you know 
Sanchez, you're great, but you're just kind of vibe sometimes. You're just kind of doing your thing. And well, at and, some and, point, it's like everyone just looking around, being like, "What is this whirling dervish doing right now? Like, like where should we be? Because we don't yeah. we don't know how to vibe with this guy. You know, obviously, if we did, we we play better because he could do things no one else can. But yeah, yeah, and and, and that's the situation we're ta- with Thomas Partey. And I and I notice it every now and then. And this isn't to come dip for him because I think Thomas Partey has been one of our best players of this season. I do not. Ever and, and, and this is another part of it too, right? And it, it it goes into this whole greater narrative of our season and our players. And listen, I want us to understand you it's okay to be disappointed. It's okay for you to think that we bottled the league or that we're blowing our chances. I actually think that it's important that we show our disappointment because I think that when we show our disappointment, we show the players how much it means to us. And how much we want. Yeah, but as long as it, as long as it, and and where I where I jump off that train is when it starts to become a competition about standards and 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 right. uh, you know and ambition because right. uh, you know I'm if we finish second in the league this year, if that should happen, whether it's by one point on the last day, whether it's by seven points because it just kind of happened falls in that category i mean i i I, it would be really really gut punching if we end up finishing third somehow uh although i don't think it's completely out of the way like that would be incredible we're not eight we're not 18 points up on third place right now so i mean you know and we're not also going to lose all of our remaining games but i just but my point is if we end this season with kind of a disappointing swoon with you know or a continuation of the one we're already in it is going to be really, really, really disappointing. It's going to be frustrating and questions will need to be asked. And, you know, I I can only hope, I can only hope that the club will look at that as a micro failure inside a success and say, you don't win leagues when you have micro failures inside successes, they have to be success after success after success. And so, we're well, going to when, do you're, that when you're coming against Man City, absolutely, you have to be perfect. And this comes comes to the second half of my point. Whereas I think that it's right for fans to be disappointed and to share that disappointment. But the reality is, if we put every single one of these wins and draws at the beginning of the season, and we come short of winning the title uh, to Man City, Edie, you would call this one of the most incredible seasons and and an incredible uh, title charge that we had. Now, and I don't remember whether everything. I said I don't remember whether I said that during the podcast or it was it was on my list of things to talk about, and we just ran out of time. But perspective of of I mean, if we had been in fourth and fifth place for the majority of the season, maybe third, fourth, fifth, kind of bouncing back and forth in that in that group, and then just went on a tear at the end of the season and finish second, everyone would say we are going to win the league next season because we are on the right, you know, we're on the right path. We've, we've sorted out our earlier issues. It's all about timing. And that's why I, that's why you have to widen the, the, the viewpoint. Sometimes you have to widen the aperture to a nine month, a nine month view, not solely a nine month view, because then you forget about things that are actually happening inside the club at the moments that it matters most. But, you know, just when, just when calling this, a success or a failure or calling it we've peaked like on a five-year basis we've peaked now in uh in in, in march bollocks well, well well that's why that's why and, and and let me land here mike let me land this time mike um and, and that's why i wanted to say when we take like a a step back and you realize that this season is nothing short of a miracle none of our players not most of our key 
players in key positions that have been putting forth the numbers are in their peak years yet. Matter of fact, many are years and years off of their supposed peak years. Not to mention, William Saliba, this is his first year even in the Premier League in the first place. And and for us to not acknowledge, like, you have to think, and, and I really do mean this, if we win the league, it, which is still on the table, it will be one of the greatest achievements in Premier League history. And I know that's something that's hard for us to like, like swallow or people don't want to think about it, but you have to realize this is the youngest team, with the youngest manager coming in and competing against the highest value, greatest coach of all time, greatest some of the greatest players the Premier League has ever seen, quite, quite probably the greatest team in Premier League history, it was always going to take a miracle. And, and sometimes when you get so close to that miracle that you can just taste it, you, it, it is bitter when you don't kind of go the distance, but that doesn't mean you can't, you shouldn't appreciate the miracle that it is. And also, as you were saying, when we take a long-term perspective view, these players are going to be good for a generation. Yeah, this These is the foundation. Are- we we have built a foundation. This is not Leicester 2016. This is not exactly. uh, this is not a, a we shot our wad for this and we missed it by bottling it and now we're saddled with players and contracts and all of that. This is you know, this is where we thought we might hopefully be next year and we're here this year and so we now can can just improve upon that and like BX Gunner says, I think we have our arsenal back. It's only the beginning. And, 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 um, and it's yeah. true. And you know that phrase that you always hear me say, because I love to, you know, wax poetic about my arsenal because I love football. And I think it's art and I like to talk very artistically about it. But I often say the Beast of London has awoken. Well, understand the Beast of London has just opened its eyes and it's starting to stretch. It hasn't begun its march yet. And boy, when the arsenal begins its march again, when the Beast really comes out of its slumber, the earth will tremble again because this is a huge club. I think that Gunnar Palooza of the preseason tour, um, Gunnar Gross, all this stuff going on in North London, the Ashburton Army has shown us and reminded everybody once again, which is why, by the way, you're going to get so much attention from um, rival fans because they're bitter. They're bitter because they can see it. They see it and they're scared because this team is coming. You know who also scared? Tom Sable scared because if we win the Premier League this year, Saka, Jaka, and Arteta are all ending up on his ass cheeks permanently. One of them might have to end up on a nut. Well, you don't think his ass cheeks big enough to have all three of them on there? I, I well, uh, no, speaking as someone not, who's seen his ass cheeks, um, not players, not players of that size. I think he's <laughs> of that stature. Um, all right, so that's. That's Bournemouth. Let's let's wrap up in about five or ten minutes well, by talking about what we have tomorrow. Well, obviously, and this is this is where the nerves are going to set in, and this is where the um, yeah. I mean, it's very hard for us. I think a lot of us are going to have that nervous energy going into the the game. You know, one of the things that I can't stand, and I'm just going to get this off of my chest: fuck city, fuck city, and fuck Pep. All right, straight up. I you know I have tolerated you because we have not been in it. But Pep Guardiola, 
if you can just drop the act for five seconds and stop pretending like the deck isn't stacked in your favor, I cannot stand listening to him. Oh, uh, all these teams, we might win, blah, 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 blah. Pep, you're literally under investigation for financial doping, okay? you. What is going on with your club is that obscene. And any time that you guys do not win the league, the fact that you haven't won Champions League, you are bottling it. You are bottling it, not us. We're lucky to be even around. We haven't come, we haven't done anywhere near the amount of spending that you guys have. We haven't done anywhere near the amount of um, investment that you guys have. And you guys, rightfully, again, I'll give you your plaudits. Yes, is this possibly the greatest team I've ever seen in the Premier League? Quite possibly, but it's built on blood and oil. You had me until the end there, because I mean, it's that's not his fault, but but the uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I the, this whining kind of acting. I mean, he knows exactly Hate what him. he's doing, and and we know exactly what he's doing, and so it shouldn't bother us. But like, you know, the game's going to be played on the pitch tomorrow, and and just remember that every single time we think we know what this Arsenal squad is, and this goes back years, mm. they they keep showing us that they're not. And that what is was my it old... la- last year. Remember, we were so, we weren't supposed to lose to who was it like Crystal Palace and somebody, and we were supposed to lose to Chelsea and Man United, and we flip flopped. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we played a crap game, and then we came back and do- and just crushed Chelsea uh, with the you know with the Nketia goals and the Saka penalty, and then you know, I mean, it, it. We just we 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 have this weird way of doing things when you least expect it, uh, and and that goes in both directions. Trust me. I mean, that just what what happened last sun last friday is an example of that um so the game's not over i don't have a great feeling about it i don't have anything to say with regards to tactics other than the fact that well let's talk about the jaka thing because Mm. very very close to each other apparently arteta said he's still ill and may not be able to play meanwhile jaka's posting on his instagram story apparently about you know like pictures of him with his family and stuff that are current so uh i mean if he's sick then he's getting his family sick but um that may just be kind of games that are being played by arteta as far as uh you know not not telegraphing to city that jaka will be playing but if jaka isn't playing if an hour before the game Vieira is in that spot on the starting 11 i i, I will lose all hope I, I just and i don't mean to be falling into this trap of 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 how arsenal twitter you know comes up with these holding things and these Vieira things and I, you know i i just I, I i just don't feel that i i'd rather see Jorginho. i'd rather see trossard even you know whether those are their normal positions or not i i Vieira is not up for it in my mind yet he, not- he he can come in as a sub if odegaard got hurt or if we needed extra attacker but he, I'm not feeling him in the Jaka thing, and so I, I'm. I'd rather have Jaka, but I, if if it's not him and it's Vieira, I, I mean, I'll get close to like don't even want to watch the game kind of feeling. Somebody's gonna clip me saying we need Granite Jaka and send it back to me three years ago, and I'm not gonna understand. Send it back to you three years ago, <laughs> but uh, but 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 it but it is true. We do need him, and I think, and this isn't a knock um to Fabio Vieira. You have to remember, Fabio Vieira isn't playing week in week out, and this is his first year in the Premier League. I think that um when you look at, for example. It's not a slight to say Jorginho, a man that's won the Premier League, a man that's had 
minutes and minutes and minutes in the Premier League might need to start in front of you in the most important game of the season. Brassard's yeah, another one. Jorginho played against City at the in the home game, right? But he was playing instead of Partey, I think. Yeah, and and I hated it. That was bad. I, I thought me. he had a good game that day. I mean, he was not the reason we we lost against City, but uh, there there were other reasons more defensive. So there, there, there were other reasons. There were other reasons for sure. But he, uh, you know, and and I cannot believe I'm saying this. He's no Granite Jaka. Let's just leave it at that. Um, mm-hmm. I what is Mike? Mike, 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 Mike. I might, I might need you to call me an ambulance because I think I'm sick in the head. I don't know what's what's making me say these things about Granite Jaka, but please, there. The one time you're not fit, the one time in our history, I've begged for you not to be fit before. It's <laughs> not nice. <sighs> it's not nice, but so did I. Uh, but well, no, no, I mean, I, I look. I've, I've already put that to bed behind me. I, I, I see the value he brings in the squad. If you didn't see on on Friday the value that he brings to our squad, it, then you're you're insane. Um, and and we need him, and uh, and we really, really need him for this run, and and we really, really need him for this game. And I, but if he's not available, I think we have at least two, two people, who can in a pinch play that position better than the one that was chosen on Saturday on Friday. And I just I it will it'll be like that time that I said one more time I see Willian in the starting lineup. And yeah. and I'm and I'm and I'm you know the famous thing that Arsenal fans say one more if I see this happen again, I'm done. Like you know right. which doesn't mean I'm done. It doesn't it never means it does I'm mean done. He, it does does mean he's done. He's going he's going full stake everyone. He's going yeah. full stake. Yeah. But but yeah, I mean, I, I I won't be happy. So that's what I'm looking for uh, at 2 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow. Uh, well, is, uh, I, I, I was we going to actually that? say what I like going into this game is I actually really like um, Arteta's energy. To be fair, that in the um, pre-match was really really good from him. I, I love that everybody's like, okay, how do you stop City? You know, they're so flexible; they can do so many things. Which he agreed. But I loved after every time he said, it, he goes, "But we can do it too. But we can do that too." And I really love that. And 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 he said it in the match. It's either, you know, football, Every the biggest game is your next game. He goes, the biggest game in my life was the Southampton game um, the other day. And my next biggest game is going to be Man City. And my biggest game after that will be the one after that. And that's just how football goes. You either go, either you leave with a trophy or you go home in tears. Direct quote from Arteta. And I love that. So, you know, if there's anything that we can end on and leave on, I would I love that we finally have a manager that has instilled this winning mentality and long may it continue and just breathe life back into this fan base. Because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, win the league or we don't win the league, these players have raised our standards. It's not me and you that rose the standards for Arsenal. It's the players that are on the pitch, and that has to go down to Mikel Arteta. And I and I thank him for the season so far. Well, you know what? I I, I don't have anything to add to that that wouldn't uh, bring us back down again. So let's uh, let's let's bring it all on uh, tomorrow. We'll try to podcast later this week uh, with a recap. Um, and uh, I mean, we'll know in in, in twenty four hours from now whether whether this league is still on. Right. And Gunners around the world, always remember, you know, you're not a lone gunner. You're always going to be part of a mighty, mighty arsenal. PGP out.
Watching the Gooners Podcast, a production of TGP Media, wholly on subsidiary of Wanker Broadcasting Company Limited PLC. All rights and likenesses, except for Owens, are available for purchase and distribution according to the historical tenets of Bird Law. Make sure to check out the Gooners Podcast at Patreon at patreon.com forward slash TGP. Find Gooners V Cancer at GoonersVCancer.com. And don't forget, get them credit cards out. The Gooners Podcast has been brought to you thanks to a generous investment from Elon Musk, as well as the letter G and the number 69. Remember, Gooner family, that taught and get better everywhere they go.